0: been nice to do the gospel reading because Jesus explained the parable and laid it all out for us, so that would have been an easy one to preach on. But instead, I chose Romans and suffering. (laughs) Yeah, that seemed good. So the big idea for today is being a Christian does not exclude us from hardships, but even in our sufferings, we have the hope of redemption through Christ. So last couple weeks ago... I was up at Panama City Beach with our high school students. And as you're up there, you know, I had a really good childhood. I had my mom and dad, my grandparents. The family was all pretty close together. And we just were a, a good family. I had a really good childhood. I was very blessed. God was very gracious to me. But as you go on these trips and you spend weeks, a week with 10 kids or 15 kids, I guess overall between the two trips to Panama City Beach, most of them don't have that. Most of them have a really hard time in their family life. They have, you know, one of them has the parent that passed away, another one, they have parents that are divorced. I mean, it's just kind of normal now not to see the normal family unit anymore that God had designed. Things seem to happen more and more, and it really makes these kids suffer in ways that I didn't as a child. You know, and oftentimes, as I said, it's like at midnight is when they come to life, these kids, and they start telling about all their struggles and their problems while we're, we're laying in bed in the room, it's the guys do. I don't know what the girls do over in their room. But the guys, and they'll talk for a couple hours, you know, about things that they're dealing with. And as I was reading this passage from Romans, I thought, it's just kind of amazing to read it and look at how all of creation is caught up in the curse for Adam's disobedience, and we look at verse 20 in this reading, and it talks about how creation is frustrated. Creation is really frustrated today. The good news is is this is not the permanent condition of creation. If you go on to verse 21, we see that when God restores human creation to glory, as he intended it to be, the rest of creation will also be restored to a condition in which there is no ruin or death. In the meantime, you know, how do, how do we deal with this? Well, we deal with it because we have the Holy Spirit given to us, to his people. And the Spirit is who assures us of this hope, that this hope is not misplaced and that it helps us cope with everyday life and helps us face our troubles. You know, and Paul, as he wrote Romans, he was no, uh, he, he, he experienced probably more suffering than most of us ever will. I mean, he knew what suffering was, and yet he opens this today and says, for that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Despite his sufferings, he's still looking forward to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. If we flip over to 2 Corinthians, it says this, or Paul says this, he says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, 30 times, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and in hardship, through many sleepless nights, and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of, on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be Paul. That's, that sounds pretty rough to me. I mean, that's worse than a country song and all the things that happen. I mean, it's, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. And it's like you look at this and you go, how can Paul still be saying, follow Christ? Follow Christ. He's still saying that that the glory's coming, that this is going to be so much better of what's coming, my sufferings don't compare at all to this. You know, we do live in a world of sorrow. Between six and 7,000 people die in the world every hour. That's about 61 million people a year. And 5 million are under the age of 5. 7 million die every year from cancer in the world, and 600,000 of those are in this country. 700,000 in this country die from heart disease. We have terrorist attacks, famines, babies born with disabilities. And the list goes on and on. And I think it would be easy at times to say, God must not be in control. God must not be in control if all these things are happening. And I think millions of people opt for that answer. They opt for that answer that God is not in control. Maybe may be a God, but he's just looking down on us like this is a TV show and just watching how it plays out and totally removed from it. But that's biblically is just untrue. If you flip back over to Matthew chapter 10, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father knowing. God knows even a sparrow. He's in control of that sparrow. It's not going to fall to the ground apart from him. If you go back to Matthew chapter 8, Jesus calms the storm. The disciples are afraid. They wake Jesus up. He calms the winds and the sea. And at the end of it, they marvel, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? The sparrows are under his control. The wind and seas are under his control. And if you go back to Lamentations, it says, Who has spoken and it came to pass, unless the Lord commanded it. God is in total and ultimate control. And yet so often we wonder if he is. But he does everything and allows everything for his purposes. So if you ever get that idea that God is not in control, it's simply not true. It's not biblical, no matter how hard it is to see. I think we look at our own lives often and wonder what's going on. Why is God allowing this or that to happen to us? Why does he not change our circumstances? And in that, we often become discouraged, bitter, angry, And we kind of turn and walk away from God at times, I think, when these times of trial and suffering hit us, because we go, he can't love me. He can't love me. But as Christians, you see, when we go through times of suffering, that should be the times that we really encounter the Father the most. That should be the times that we're going, Abba, Father, help me. Help me. Be with me. Walk with me. Help get me through this. Those are the times that we should really be calling out to that. Back in Romans chapter 5, it says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, ultimately, the suffering leads to hope. And that's what this passage from Romans is about today, is that ultimately, even in our sufferings, we rejoice in the fact that we have hope in Christ. We have hope that he is coming back. We have hope that he is in total control. You know, really, Christians should be the best at suffering. When we go through hardships, we should be the best at it. And yet so often we seem to be the ones that fall apart. Completely fall apart. And that's not how it should be. We should be a reflection of Jesus being in us. We should be a reflection to the world that even when we lose loved ones, even when our business fails, even when everything falls apart in our lives, that God is in control and God is good. And we should be showing that to the world. And yet so often... That's not what we show the world. That is not what we show the world. We show another side. We show that we're no different than them. We show them that we're hopeless, but we're not. We're not. And if you're a part of Christ the King, hopefully you're in the Word. Hopefully you're spending time daily in the Word of God, and you're spending time in prayer so that when those times come, when these hard times come, we don't fold, and we don't fall, and we get through them, and we make it through At RYM last week, the main speaker shared a story about Florence Chadwick. Some of you may have heard this story before, but I thought it went really well with this message today. In 1952, Florence Chadwick stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean off Catalina Island, determined to swim to the mainland California. She had already been the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. The weather was foggy and chilly that day. She could hardly see the boats accompany her. Still, she swam for 15 hours. When she begged to be taken out of the water along the way, her mother in a boat alongside told her she was close and that she could make it. Finally, physically, mentally, and emotionally exhausted, she stopped swimming and asked to be pulled out of the water. It wasn't until she was in the boat that she discovered the shore was less than half a mile away. At a news conference the next day, she said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. A couple months later, she attempted to swim from Catalina Island to mainland California again. In planning, a day was picked that should be sunny. However, during her swim, the fog rolled in again. However, this time was different. Instead of focusing on the fog, she focused on a vision in her mind of the shore and made it. It reminded me of how often in our own lives do we focus on the fog. How often do we focus on our troubles and our worries and our doubts and the depression and health problems and unemployment and financial uncertainty, our strained relationships, the loss of loved ones, and the list could go on. And sometimes we feel like Florence. Let's just give up. Pull me in to the boat. I'm done. But the difference is, as Christians, we do have a North Star. We do have a North Star. And that person is Jesus. And that place is heaven. And Philippians were told, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, Paul got it. His goal remained to be Jesus. That was his goal. And no matter what he was going through, as he said in Second Corinthians, no matter what he was going through, his eyes kept focused on Jesus. You see, because when we have Jesus as our Savior, He changes everything. He changes everything about us. One of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes is this. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. And that's how we should be as followers of Christ. That's it. Because of what He's done for us, because of what he's done for us on that cross, it changes how we see everything. Everything is now different as a result of that. And yet so often we're only saying God is good when things are good in our lives, when we're being blessed. And that's just not reality. That is just not reality. It doesn't seem to matter if you're four years old or you're 40 years old or you're 80 or 90 years old. Everyone is going through something. Everyone has struggles. Everyone has difficulties. And those are the times we should be saying, God is good because we should be seeing it just like we see that the sun has risen. And when we don't see that it's rising, we know it's still there. Even on the cloudy days, even on the dark days, we know that Jesus is still with us. He's still there and he's still good. Yesterday we had our Anglican fourth day training, and um, the gospel reading was from Mark chapter 6, and it's when Jesus sends out the 12 disciples to cast out demons, um, to minister to people, heal the sick, and uh, call people to repentance. Well, the disciples sure didn't have it together. If you look back at Mark chapter 1 and 3 and 5, these guys were a mess. These guys were a total wreck. One moment they'd have it together, they'd be, okay, they're doing better. And the next thing you know, they're doubting Jesus. They're going, what's he doing? We don't understand this. Why is he doing this? Is he really who he says he is? I don't know. And then they get back on track. But it's a constant battle for them. Constant battle for them against the flesh. And yet Jesus is sending them out. And I'm thinking, why would you send out people that can't get it together when they're with you, Jesus? Like, that's that's what I'm thinking when you read this. And he's telling them, just take a staff and a tunic and a few other little things, but don't take money. Don't worry about where you're going to sleep or eat or anything. I mean, is that how you want to be sent out? Probably not, but that's the reality of Jesus. That's just the reality of his call on our lives. We're seldom equipped to deal with what he's calling us to do. And I think that's the point. If you're following him, I think he intentionally says, go here, do this. And we're going, I can't do that. But you can do that if you're walking with him, if you're following him, if you're trusting him. And see, that's the thing. Jesus wants full surrender from us. And I think that's when he puts us through these situations where you go, I don't think this is going to work. I got it. I got it. Just follow me. Just trust me. You're going to hear in the announcements from this ministry better together. And I'm sure when they formed this, they had no idea how this was going to go and working with kids and homes and foster care and placing kids temporarily in homes and they're going to share more about it. But I don't think they knew how this was going to go. And yet they went because that's where Jesus called them. And they're going to tell you about it and he's blessed that. There was a lot of fog, I'm sure, for them in forming this ministry better together. But they did it. God's blessing it. And they know who's standing there, who's standing on the shore. I was reminded of this story of a small boy who was reading a book for his class. The book was filled with a lot of difficulties for the main character. One day while he was in the grocery store, the little boy saw a lady in the checkout line that looked familiar to him. So he walked by the checkout line a few times and then finally grabbed his mom and pulled her over. The mom apologized for the son and said that her son believed that she was the author of a book he was reading in his class. When asked what the book was, the lady replied, I actually am the author of that book. The little boy wanted to know if he could ask her a question. Of course she said yes. What the child wanted to know was, was the main character going to be okay? The author replied, yes, he's going to be okay in the end. And at that time, the little boy put his hand over his heart and said, Now I can rest. That's just the sweetest story. But I thought, that's us. That's what we should be able to say. Whatever's going on in our life, even though we don't necessarily know the ending, we know that Jesus is there. And our hearts can rest. We don't know everything that's going to happen and every turn that's going to take in our lives. But Jesus is there, so our heart can rest like that little boy. One of my very favorite passages from Isaiah is Isaiah 43. And it says this, he says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, your Savior. On Wednesday night, I had dinner with some friends at this new place downtown called District. And while we were there, one of my, two of my kids that are in the youth group are in Sam's youth group now. Um, I've got to get used to that. It's going to take a while. The dad comes over, and his two boys had been with me at RYM, and um, we were joking about his kids because they're quite entertaining. And um, this is the dad, this dad, Jordan, is, one, is this dad that lost a son last year to suicide, Caden. And, of course, you know, that was one of, I'd say, the hardest things I'd ever gone through in my time as youth minister. And really probably one of the hardest times for our youth ministry is losing a student that way. And so the dad and I are talking about things. And, and all these people that are working at this place um, look like they're teenagers. And so I said, and we had joked about how um, they probably were in their 20s. It's just all of us are getting old, so they look younger. And uh, so <laughs> it gets better, huh? Uh. So anyway, I said, I said, how old is that kid over there with the curly hair? And Jordan goes 15. So we breathed a sigh of relief that we, we weren't that far off base. And he said, um, he goes, all these kids that are working here are friends. We're friends of Cadence. They were friends at Cadence, and he goes, when I took this job as the manager, he goes, I requested that I could hire high school students to work this summer. And he goes, my goal was to hire students that knew my son. He goes, because what I wanted more than anything was for those students to know Jesus. And he goes, I've used this as a ministry opportunity and he goes, Of course, these kids complain about the heat in the kitchen. And he goes, Well, if you go to hell, he goes, you'll, You're going to know heat much worse than this. <laughs> he goes, So he's used that kind of as a tool, but he said his goal has been to evangelize them, get them involved in a church and a youth ministry. And he goes, It's really been an amazing summer. He goes, We just opened a couple weeks ago. He goes, But the training started in June. He goes, So I've spent the last month and a half almost with these guys. And he goes, it's been amazing. And he goes, every one of them has gotten, is going to church right now. And he goes, he goes, I've seen a change in them. And so here you have a parent that suffered the worst loss of losing a child and has used it for good to minister to others. And I think that's what this passage in Isaiah and this reading from Romans and our suffering is that we go through these things And in the end, we know we will not be consumed by the flames. Because our Lord is a holy one of Israel, our Savior. I hope we don't get blinded by our circumstances and forget that. To finish, in Revelations it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. One day, all these things that we're going through will pass away. And we're going to have Jesus with us. And that's my hope and prayer, is that we don't get overcome by the fog today. That we don't let the fog consume us and say we want out. I want us to be a people that can fix our eyes on the shore where Jesus is standing with open arms ready to greet us. Amen.